Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to stand still and go back to Genesis chapter 14 and read a couple of verses to you and unpack and unveil the mystery of Melchizedek. And once more, this revelation is truly awe-inspiring. When we actually begin to delve into the depths of this word and the revelation thereof, once more, it is going to bring about an awe that will come over you as you once more realize the splendor and the majesty of who God is. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to Genesis chapter 14. And I'm going to read from verse 17. Genesis 14 from verse 17 in the New King James Version of the Bible. Verse 17, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that's Abraham, at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat of Keder Lomer, and the kings who were with him, then King Melchizedek, or then Melchizedek, king of Salem, or Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he... Abraham gave him Melchizedek a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say, I was the one who made Abraham rich. And I'm going to read just to there for now. I want to look at Melchizedek for a moment. And then we're going to look at some of the other characters in this particular setting. But I want to just stand still quickly with Melchizedek and just look at this interesting character from the book of Genesis. Now his name is the compound of two Hebrew words, which the first word is Melech, which means king, and then also Zedek, which means righteous. So in other words, combining then these two words into what is then his name, Melchizedek, it means the king of righteousness. That is certainly not, call it an earthly title. This is not a title that would be synonymous with just an ordinary earthly king. And so it is very clear that even already by his name, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, that there is something supernatural going on pertaining to this person. The Bible also goes on to reveal that he was the king of Salem or Salem. And he was also the priest of the most high God. That's Genesis 14 verse 18 that we just read. And in a moment, I'm going to share with you the interesting side to this particular statement. And also the revelation is that here we have for the very first time and also the very last time. A figure, an individual who is both very clearly a king and a priest. The only other time when it is when we read about someone, another individual who is both a priest and a king, 
is when we open up the book of Hebrews and once more we read about Melchizedek. Only this time it clearly illustrates the fact that he was merely a type and a shadow of Christ. Who is both a priest and a king. I do not want to get ahead of myself but we'll get to that just in a moment. Also looking at the words or the particular name of the city, Jerusalem, which we all know and we read about in the Old Testament. This particular city, before it actually belonged to and became synonymous with the Israelites or the Jews, Jerusalem actually belonged to the Jebusites. And so they alternately called it either Jebus or Salem. And that is why using the combination of those two names, we today have what is referred to as or known as Jerusalem. That's where that comes from. So in today, these, or this particular name reflects these two names, which is Jeru and then Salem. And this is also where it is so interesting that the Bible actually urges us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, where the name and the word Salem is actually also, it ties in with peace and it ties in with that which we just read about. But as I was sharing with you even recently, you know, as much as the Old Testament tells us and admonishes us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, understand perfect peace only comes in the presence of the Prince of Peace and so true peace will never find its way in the streets of the city of Jerusalem until such a time that everyone within the walls of Jerusalem acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that he is the Prince of Peace Because any other form of peace or anything else that we could call peace will fall short. There might be a peace treaty which someone somewhere very soon will just break. We have found, you know, over the hundreds and even thousands of years how people have tried to bring about peace to the land of Israel and to the city of Jerusalem only for that peace treaty to fail and fall short miserably. And this is just a reminder once more that outside of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. That also outside of Christ, who is the life, there is no life. That outside of Christ, who is the way, we are lost. And we are not on the way to life. And so really it all brings us back to the central figure of it all. Who is Christ Jesus the Messiah. Also what is interesting as I just was saying is that the word Salem is also in Hebrew. It means peaceful peace. Melchizedek was therefore a king of righteousness and also a king of peace. And a priest of the Most High God. And also as we just read from the scripture, Melchizedek presents Abraham with bread and wine. We later read, and this is what I was sharing with you a few weeks ago, where Abraham in essence returned the favor, where he was the one who actually asked Jesus to come and dine with him along with those two angels. But in the very first encounter that Abraham has with the pre-incarnate Jesus, it is Melchizedek, Jesus, who actually takes out bread and wine and serves Abraham with the bread and wine. And that takes us back to the occurrence of that which took place in the upper room, where Jesus also just after he had revealed to his disciples that behold I no longer call you servants but I call you friends because servants do not know anything pertaining to the master's business but now behold I have called you friends because I have made it known to you as to the fullness of the gospel the fullness of that which is yet to come I have included you 
into the relationship and revelation that I have and enjoy with the Father. And so Melchizedek takes bread and wine, which even in the cultural setting of that time, it was a symbol and a sign of friendship. When you took out bread and wine and you partook with someone else, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of fellowship, but also it was a symbol and a sign of covenant. When you ate with someone who was a king or a nobleman or someone of great importance, you only ate with them when you wanted to walk with them, when you wanted to be in relationship with them and even go into covenant with them. And covenant in that time was basically it meant that your enemies now have become my enemies and my enemies have become your enemies. And so Melchizedek takes out the bread and the wine and serves Abraham. And not only does that happen, he bestows a blessing upon Abraham. He says to him, let me just read this to you again. Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand now think about this for a moment what was Abram's response to all of this I mean here he was meeting with the king of Sodom that's where the story starts remember where are they they are in the valley of the king I've shared this before, but I want to just emphasize this again. Abram was not a king, yet he met with kings in the valley of the kings. He was not someone who was insecure. He was not someone, although he was just called a farmer, a wandering farmer. He was not insecure as to who he was as to who he will be, as to who his descendants would become, because God had entered into covenant with him. And so when he had this opportunity to meet with kings, he did not see himself as less than. He met with the king of Sodom and he also didn't meet with the king thinking to himself, wow, I'm meeting with an influential person. What can I get from him? I will do whatever he asks. I will become whatever he wants me to become so that I might get something from him. That is the attitude of so many Christians today. You could probably call that the chameleon anointing, tongue in cheek. They change for everything and everyone. They change as the season changes, they change. They will be very forceful when it comes to a particular viewpoint among a certain group of people. But then in the very same day, they will be in the company of someone else with an opposing view and they will change their view. Because they want to fit in. They want to get something from that group of people. And so they will be willing to compromise the truth. They would be willing to sell their soul for something that might be of interest to them that could come from their hands. And so as he was basically interacting with the king of Sodom, Melchizedek just arrives, just so happens to come across them in the valley of the kings. And then Melchizedek completely ignores the king of Sodom and goes directly to Abraham. And he takes bread and wine and they have this feast. And then he bestows a blessing upon Abraham. And what does Abraham do in response to all of that which has just taken place? We read that and it's literally the very next sentence. Let me read it to you again in its entirety. What happened is, is it says in verse 19, and he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and he said, Blessed be Abraham 
of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Listen to this. And he gave him a tithe of all. That was the response to covenant, to friendship, and to blessing. Melchizedek never spoke about the tithe. Melchizedek did not hint towards anything that needed to be given. Melchizedek did not instill a particular principle or lay down the framework of a particular principle. And now Abram was left with a choice whether or not he was going to adhere to this principle. So what motivated him to give a tithe? 10% of everything. His love. His devotion. And honor. Because he understood that here is a man who is like or unlike any other man. Here is a man who is both a priest and a king. Something he has not come across ever. And here this man, Melchizedek, you can say to a certain extent, humbles himself. He has no reason to interact with Abraham, a wandering farmer. He's no reason to even get off. If he was traveling on a donkey or a horse, he had no reason to get off. If he was traveling by foot, he had no reason to stand still. He could have just walked on by because Abraham was already in conversation with the king of Sodom. He could have thought to himself, well, they're already having a meeting. I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to interrupt. It's not my place. Abram responds to this divine interaction with Melchizedek in a way that baffles our minds because he says he vows to give him a tithe a tenth of all without it being asked without any hints being thrown without any pressure being put on him It is because it comes from a place of love, of devotion, and honor for who he is. What is so powerful about these words in Hebrew and how the setting plays out and how we would have read this if we were obviously of... of, Hebrew origin and speaking the language of Hebrew is that Psalm 35 and verse 27 it clearly reveals God's desire and his heart for his people by saying that God delights in the prosperity of his children that's Psalm 35 verse 27 but have you ever considered reading that verse in the Hebrew Bible Because then we find something very interesting is that it says that God delights in the shalom of His children. You see, in the Hebrew language, the word for peace, shalom, and the word prosperity is exactly the same word. And now it brings me back to what we read about in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. That verse that we all quote during Christmas time. Unto us a child is born. And then among other things it mentions one of his titles is that he is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Shalom. But what is so powerful is the fact that it can also be translated as to the fact that he is the Prince of Prosperity. And this is where all the religious people watching just left Facebook. But he is the Prince of Peace. And we have no problem in accepting that. The same people who get upset, well, well, you know, if, if God is really all about prosperity, you know, why do I not see prosperity? Well, the same thing could be said about peace. If he is the Prince of Peace, like we know he is the Prince of Peace, even religious people will not 
argue with you about that point. Where's the peace? Why are people killing each other left, right and center? Why are men raping women at the level that they are doing so? Where's the peace? There is no peace in many homes. There is no peace in many cities, in many regions, in many provinces, in many countries. Many countries right now are war-torn. People needing to flee for their lives with entire families. With sometimes even literally just what they have on their back. That's all they have. Doesn't speak of peace. And again, the reason why that is not something that they see and experience and are partakers of, again, is because there is the despising of the Prince of Peace. You cannot partake of that which you despise. You cannot ever partake of something that you reject, that you deny, that you nullify. And so there will never be peace unless you acknowledge the Prince of Peace. In the same way I can say, therefore, that there will never be true biblical prosperity as long as there is the denial thereof. As there is the attitude of it being nullified. It being rejected. Because we come up with all kinds of justifications as to why that could not be true and cannot be God's ideal. But if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, He is the Prince of Prosperity. And what is so powerful is the fact that the blessing that Abram receives from Melchizedek is what precedes Abram giving the tithe. Because what is blessing? Blessing in Hebrew, it means empowered to prosper. And so what was happening in this realm of the spirit is a, you can say, a spiritual transaction, a spiritual exchange. Melchizedek blesses him and by blessing him, he empowers him to prosper. And the way in which Abraham responds to the empowerment of blessing is by vowing to give Melchizedek the tithe. Behold, it did not matter whether or not there was going to be any particular financial transaction taking place first and foremost. Because it was acknowledged that he was already blessed. It was established that he has already been empowered to prosper. In the very same way, we have so much more than Abraham. I mean, understand that this particular story takes place before the law. It takes place before Jesus came to this earth physically. To start his earthly ministry, to preach, to live, and ultimately to die on that cross and to be raised back to life on the third day. And then shortly thereafter, He ascended into heaven. Shortly thereafter, He gave us His Spirit that He poured out upon the 120 in the upper room. And in consequence to that particular event, we find that the laying on of hands that occurred from that moment, transferring the Holy Spirit to all who would receive it and believe it, so that is taking place even to this very day the blessing of God being transferred empowering us to prosper and his response to that empowerment was to vow to bring the tithe as I was saying it is interesting to look at the setting where we have Abraham meeting the king of Sodom they're busy having a conversation. You say, well, where is that? Let me just read this again to you. Verse 17, Genesis 14, 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him. The king of Sodom went out to meet Abram. Where? In the valley of the kings. And they were busy having a conversation when, in verse 18, then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine. So I want you to picture the setting for a moment. Here's Abram and the king of Sodom having a meeting in the Valley of the Kings. They're busy having a conversation. But as we find later in Abraham's interaction, he actually despises this king. He's not going to give him really the time of day. And what is incredible is, picture this for a moment. The king of, of Sodom is there. Abram is having a meeting with him. Melchizedek arrives, brings bread and wine, and they feast together. They talk. Melchizedek blesses him. All the while, this is taking place in the presence of the king of Sodom. He's just got to stand there. He's got to stand there to the side, watching. Melchizedek and Abraham have a feast to which he is not invited, to which he is not a partaker. Although he was first on the scene, he is not privy to this feast. And you know the powerful illustration and foreshadowing that it has even on our own lives. The fact that we can consider our own lives and look back at our own history. That before there was Jesus, hey, there was the devil. That we were in relationship with the devil. We were convening with the devil. We were interacting and meeting with the devil. Until that day that Jesus showed up. Until the day that Jesus walked into your life. Until Jesus entered the scene. And he brought out bread and wine. Without you having to have had any reason to receive it without you having any reason to be a partaker of the bread and the wine without you having done anything from your side to justify the bread and the wine he came with the bread and the wine he gave his life of which that is a symbol of the bread, his body, the wine, his blood that was poured out for all, that was given freely once and for all for the forgiveness of sins, so that we might be justified, so that we might be reconciled with the Father and walk in his righteousness. And also then, blessing us, blessing us, empowering us to prosper. Now, what does this remind you of? Well, this reminds us of what is written in David's Psalm, Psalm 23 and verse 5, which very clearly says to us that he prepares a table in the presence of our enemy. He prepares a feast for you. He prepares a table for you in the midst of your enemy. The king of Sodom had to stand by and had to look at everything that was happening. And it is interesting that right after the bread and the wine that speak of covenant, forgiveness of sins, and then the blessing that speaks of divine supernatural empowerment, the favor of God. How the king of Sodom is now trying to bargain. How the king of Sodom is trying to negotiate with Abram. Hey, you can have this and we will take that. There is not even a negotiation. There's no negotiation. And Abraham says to him very clearly, listen, I will not take even a shoelace from you. Lest you be the one to say, I was the one who made Abraham rich. In saying that, it does not mean that you could never become a recipient of a gift from God's hand. God will use people. But make sure that you do not receive or partake of a gift with strings attached. Make sure that there is never anyone ever that would be able to say, Oh, the only reason why that person is who they are and where they are is because of me. 
You know, in saying that, I must say that there are some people who are so delusional that they will possibly try even later in life to try and claim that you are where you are today because of them. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, you read stories and hear stories about people even where someone has been a survivor of tremendous abuse and where that abuser later on in in the years would actually say, well, you know, you are where you are today because of what you had endured, because of me. If it wasn't for the abuse at my hand, you would not have become the person that you are today. So you see, I actually made you the person you are today. That's how delusional some people are. Because their own lives are so insignificant that the only claim to fame, as they put it, they would be able to have, would to be able to say, you know what? I was involved with this person in a particular point in my own history. And hey, the reason why that person is so successful and so prominent or whatever might be the case today is because of the fact that this person was involved with me for a time being. This person interacted with me for a time being. I was instrumental in making that person be who they are today. That's how delusional some people are. But coming back to our text and dealing once more with this which followed the blessing by Melchizedek over Abraham. Abraham gave the tithe. And the reason why I want to just highlight this quickly is because this was not just some ordinary tithe. This was what we can today refer to as a corporate tithe. Because this tithe was actually a, call it business tithe. This was a tithe from their business endeavors. Because this particular tithe was was given from the spoils of war of that which he was involved with, with Lot, his nephew. And what is incredible to find is that he gave this corporate tithe based on the gross earnings of their business before any distribution took place among the partners, shareholders, or role players, whatever you want to call it. In other words, this was a gross tithe or a tithe on the gross earnings of the company often people ask you know we are as individuals in a covenant relationship with God therefore we understand that we as individuals should honor the Lord with our tithe but then there are those who say it's not as though the Lord gave his life for a business It's not as though the Lord gave his life for that particular endeavor. And therefore, should this business tithe? And once more, we understand that what is the business without the people who are at the helm of that business? And if you are that business owner, the question becomes, why not make Jesus the chairman of the board? Why not dedicate your business to the Lord to say, Lord, We are at this place in our business where we really want to go to that next level, where we want to break new ground, where we want to make you part of this, Lord, because all that we are and all that we will be is from you. And we acknowledge you and choose to acknowledge you first and foremost, to be able to dedicate your business and all of your business endeavors What is incredible is that even there in the area of your business, making that decision to say even from from my business and from my business endeavors that I will honor the Lord with my tithe, that we will put God's kingdom first because the same applies. It's a principle. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you and so for those who are in business or those who are even thinking about going into business anything that you are entering into that is call it then for profit 
where the intention is to make a profit. Why not choose to make God part and partner with Him even in the area of business and see what God is going to do even in that business for His glory but also for your advancement in Jesus' name. But coming back, coming back to Melchizedek and his identity. I want to just land this. In in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, it declares that Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let me read this again. That Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of of Melchizedek now the word order is typically used in reference to a succession so in other words when there is a particular order then we find as we even had with the Levitical priesthood and with that particular order the Aaronic order with Aaron obviously being that first high priest and all those who would follow after him that that order speaks of a succession. In other words, there is one and then he gets to a certain age or he passes and there's someone who rises up, who is anointed, who is released, who is positioned and then takes over and then we find succession taking place within this order. However, with Christ now, In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20, it is revealed that he has become a high priest forever. However, we also read that he is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there is something really special that happens. And there is a very clear distinction. Because once more, the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing out that there is something that is quite out of the ordinary when it comes to this person by the name of Melchizedek. When we consider the priesthood of Israel, it can be traced back to Aaron. Whereas Israel's kingship is traced back to David. However, and this is where we talk about that which is extraordinary. The Bible reveals that not only does Melchizedek predate both Aaron and David, but he was in fact both a priest and a king. Let me just say this again to really hit this home. Because I understand that not many of you might have had, call it, any uh, exposure to the topic of biblical history as it relates to that which I'm dealing with this morning. So Israel's priesthood started with Aaron. And we can take back the true lineage of Israel's kings to David. Now you say, well, what about Saul? There are certain things that happen in the life of Saul. And when we read about the lineage, we also, we, we, we read where it starts from David. When, when you look at the New Testament and the lineage and the things that are discussed and the things that are shared, it goes back to David, not Saul, David. Although technically Saul was the first king. But read up on the history of that which happened with Saul and the things that happened. And the word that came to David about his son. And also about the powerful dual purpose of that prophecy, which speaks of his son will build the temple. Yes, speaking of Solomon who physically did it. However, we also find the duality of that prophecy pointing to the son, or in other words, a descendant in David's lineage, which is Christ, the Messiah. And this is where you can actually read the genealogy of Christ Jesus. In the Gospels, you can read, some of it that it it reveals the lineage from um, even Mary's side and also then Joseph's side and uh, although Joseph obviously is not his real father um, he's but at best his stepfather but when you actually trace it back it goes back to David the king 
So Israel never had a priest who was also a king, nor a king who was also a priest. The only exception ever being this person by the name of Melchizedek. This further points to why the Bible states that Jesus has become our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. For Jesus also is both our high priest and our king. But not only is Jesus a priest king, a priestly king, you can say, but his priesthood and his kingship is eternal. Listen to the words from the prophet Zechariah. He says in Zechariah 6 verse 13, It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with the majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Wow. Isn't it incredible? Where it is so clear that it speaks of there is one who will sit on the throne forever because he is a king. And yet he will also be the one who will be a priest forever. There's only one who fits the description. And therefore there's only one person who Melchizedek is a type and shadow for. And that is Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Hebrews 7 verse 30 states that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy. This is not a normal human being, people. You can possibly still explain it in the way that Jesus' genealogy can be explained. With the virgin who became pregnant and conceived and then gave birth to the Messiah. Therefore, you can sort of explain out the need for a father. But how is it possible to have an individual who has no father and who has no mother? In fact, he has gene no genealogy. Is it possible that we are talking about the ancient of death? Is it possible that we are talking of the great I am, the eternal I am, the one who was before there was even time, the one who was, who is, and is to come? And this is where, even a few weeks ago, I shared with you where Jesus was talking of Abraham, and he said that Abraham longed to see this day. Because Abraham was the first recipient of the full message, the full revelation of the gospel. And Abraham longed to see this day. He said, my day. Abraham longed to see my day. And then the question came, well, Jesus, I mean, you're not even 40. And you're saying that uh, you walked with Abraham. How is this possible? And then Jesus says these words. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And he reveals not only the fact that he was before there was. Not only Abraham, but before there was time. He also reveals the fact that he is God. Because he uses the name of God, the intimate name of God, I am. Where Moses said, who will I say has sent me? And then God says to him, just tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. I am. He is. He simply is. We can add anything else. But he is this. He is that. And the Bible gives us some powerful hints as to the character and the nature of God. Things even such as, you know, God is light. God is love. So in other words, from God's perspective, he could have said, I am love. I am light. And there are many other characteristics and things that reveal his nature. However, they would not just be, if there were 50 references, it doesn't mean there's 50 attributes and things pertaining to the nature of God. Because it is infinite.
this is why he's not just going to say, I am this, I am that, or have the title like earthly kings would. You know, this person, the name and, you know, where they are from and they are the protector of this and they are the leader of this and lord over that area. As was the typical case for a king back in the day. But God's name simply is, I am. I guess I am. I am what? Over the, yes, overall, I am. I am. I simply am. But Jesus claims that name. Saying to the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. And they could not see that he is here. This is why when Thomas said, well, when will you show us the Father? Do you not realize that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Why? Because he is, I am, I am, I am. I am that I am. If that sounds like it's over your head, may you encounter him afresh today. That you will realize, have the understanding and walk in the revelation of who he is and then second to that knowing who you are in him knowing how much you are loved by him that he is without father or mother without genealogy without beginning of days or end of life resembling the son of God he remains a priest forever. How can there be any question that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ? This was the very first interaction Abraham had with Jesus. And you will recall, as I shared with you, after this, he had one more and then the third powerful encounter. And it was at that third encounter where Abraham became a friend of Jesus. In John 1, 1, just to further seal this powerful revelation, John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was is the ancient of days he is what is referred to in Hebrews 7 verse 30 without beginning of days or end of life why because in the beginning was the word the beginning did not bring about the word that before there was the beginning there already was the word in the beginning so in other words when time was introduced there already was the word in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The priesthood of Jesus is better. For it has no beginning and it certainly has no end. Hebrews 7.30 again says, For He remains a priest so Jesus' priesthood is unlike the Levitical priesthood, unlike the Aaronic order or the order of Aaron. His priesthood is better, for he remains a priest forever. Jesus' kingship is better, for it also has no end. You say, where do we get this? Well, when the angel appeared to Mary, informing her of her pregnancy, the angel declared that Jesus' kingdom will never end. That Jesus' kingdom will never end. Luke 1 and verse 33. And isn't it just incredible to understand and know that the Bible reveals that we too are priests who are kings. 
you look at me like, how can this be? Let me take you to the word of the Lord. First Peter chapter 2. Amplified, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, royal, kingly, priesthood, priestly, priests who are kings, kings who are priests. Did you get that? You are a chosen race. You are a different kind of person. Some translations render this word or this term a peculiar people. You are different. You are superhuman. Because greater is he that is in you than the one who's in this world. That it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's who you are. That you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people that may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light isn't it incredible that we today have access to that which any Old Testament biblical character could not even dream of There are many people who speculate the fact or speculate about the fact that David was perhaps also a priest king, but it's not. He was a king. He was not a priest. There is the evidence that they would particularly point to of, well, he ate the showbread. Well, read the entire story because they were, <laughs> they were famished. They were hungry. And so he was just debating good point of debate but that doesn't prove the fact that he was a priest had it been he could have just helped himself he did not have to debate and trying to be clever as to the reason for him to be able to partake of it he wasn't a priest some people even point to the ephod well that simply speaks of his desire you see david wanted to get as close to that reality as was humanly possible to do so without being struck dead <laughs> he had the desire and I believe that that's one of the reasons why he was referred to amidst everything that he had done as a man close to God. A man called after God's very own heart. It is because there was this desire to live up to God's ultimate ideal is that one day there will be God's own people, a chosen people, a peculiar people, a chosen race, a new kind of person who will be a royal priesthood that's us you have access to something today sitting here that David would have given everything for he would have given all of his wealth away if that was possible to have what we have today and that many the overwhelming majority of Christians take for granted today we have that Oh, and there will be some Christians who will still debate that. Who will argue this one. Well, well, we're not really. You see, we're still on earth and one day in heaven. You are a royal priesthood. Priests who are kings. Kings who are priests. And so when you are a king, you are supposed to rule and reign. When you are a priest, you should understand and know the word of truth. You should walk in the demonstration of the supernatural power of God. Because you're a priest. Come on, this is the kind of person that God wants us to be. The, the, these are the kind of people that God wants us collectively to be. 
a royal priesthood. And this is why this is the main scripture for us as a church, as Dominion Church. This is our scripture. That at our inception, that was the scripture that God spoke to us about. To drive home the revelation that we are a royal priesthood. To equip people to step into the reality and the fullness of that term, which is not just a term, but a function and a divine mandate from God. For us to rule and reign, but for us, for us also to demonstrate the kingdom. You see, where there is a king, there is a kingdom. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. But God, Jesus is the king, but he has given us and has bestowed the anointing upon us to walk in the, in, in the reality of being kings on this earth. Having a domain and sphere of influence where we are called to rule and reign. And then to demonstrate the reality of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Where people should be able to see and experience and encounter the demonstration of his kingdom, his power, and his glory. That's what we're called to do. And so with that, I want to ask that you would just stand to your feet. I want to pray over every single one of you here today. Just lift up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this word this morning. I pray for an activation to take place right now. As revelation has been imparted to our hearts and to our spirit, I pray for the activation of this word to take place now in Jesus' name. That every single one of us will walk in the reality and the revelation of the fact that we are priests who are kings. Kings who are priests. After the order of Melchizedek. Father, I thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus gave up his life for us. I thank you for the incredible stories and illustrations, the types and the shadows, even from the scriptures we read today. That Melchizedek, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, took the bread, took the wine, and that he blessed Abraham, empowering him to prosper. Father, I pray that even in our own lives that you would prepare that table for us in the presence of our enemy. That our enemy will know once and for all that every single thing that has been plaguing your life, every single familiar spirit that is coming to knock on your door and has been, may they understand and know that you are in covenant with God that you will not take your eyes of the incredible covenant relationship that you have with the most high God that you will know that you know that you know that the full price was paid once and for all of which the bread and the cup are the symbol that you are blessed and highly favored having been reconciled with the Father, having received the spirit of adoption that makes you cry out, Abba, which means Father. That you have an unfair advantage over every other person because of the greatness that has been imparted on the inside of you. 
May you never be intimidated by the enemy ever again. The lies of the enemy telling you that you are nothing, that you are not worth anything, that you will never amount to anything, that you are not going to live a life of significance, a life of meaning or a life of purpose, that you will never fulfill your destiny. May you in the very same way deal with your enemy as Abraham dealt with the king of Sodom. Although he was first on the scene, Abraham gave him not the time of day. Even after he tried to negotiate his way back into Abraham's life, he refused to be a partaker of anything that comes from his hand. Because he knew the revelation we have today that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. And so every single temptation that you have ever had, Every thought of unbelief pertaining to the area of your security, of your finances, of your work, or anything pertaining to the stability and the quality of your life. Every fear, every worry, every form of stress and anxiety about your future, and any form of compromise that the enemy wanted you to be a partaker of to take the easy road out, to take the shortcut, to do something that is questionable, unethical, unlawful, or even downright sinful. For the sake of a quick and sudden turnaround, as the result of your own hands and your own fleshly desires, we come against every single one of those thoughts we take every thought captive in Jesus name and may his perfect peace his shalom shalom drive out all fear now in Jesus name that you will not look to the left or to the right You will certainly not walk to the left or to the right. But you will take every single step with authority and power. Walking in dominion. Stepping into your purpose, your divine call towards your destiny. You will not miss your call. Your destiny will not be unfulfilled in Jesus' name. Even now, may the Lord release destiny helpers along your path. Destiny helpers to encourage. Destiny helpers to supply. Destiny helpers to open. And so Lord, I thank you that we are in covenant with you. We vow that we will always at all times honor you with our tithe. We will honor you with our very best because we love you. Because we are devoted to you. And because we honor you in recognition of the fact that without you we are nothing. That outside of you there is no life. There is no hope, there is no peace, there is no joy. There is no meaning and there is no fulfillment. And so I pray for every single one to be activated this morning. Cover us with your blood. Protect us and deliver us from our enemy. I thank you that we are covered and sealed by the Holy Spirit.
And Father, I pray that we will operate and walk in wisdom, clarity of mind. Not being clouded with the latest and the challenges and the muck of this world. But wisdom, clarity, direction. come against the spirit of confusion the spirit of unbelief I say go now in Jesus name go to the pit of hell from where you come and where you belong and never return again in Jesus name Jesus I thank you that you are our high priest forevermore that you have entered into the holy place once and for all with your own blood. Paying the price once and for all. Settling the debt once and for all. Canceling and nullifying it once and for all. And so we say that we are yours. Use us. Use us. For your purpose for the advancing of your kingdom for your glory thank you for listening all the way to the end if you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world if you have enjoyed Dominion today follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram Facebook and your favorite podcast platform or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.